The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards and this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining us, we have Scottish-based journalist Graham Falk. You don't want to know what conversation we've just been having as we started this podcast, but hello, Graham. Hello, how are you doing? It's just about dentists, really. It's just If you're worried about paying lots of money for fillings and teeth, then it would have been a shocking conversation. If you're a fan of teeth, you would have enjoyed the post-game, no, pre-game podcast that we just did. <laughs> also with us uh, is our regular Championship and National League expert, Dan Pentland. Hello, Dan. Hi, Luke. And also wondering what the hell she's let herself in for and what is going on is uh, regular Laura Howard. You can find her work lurk in the likes of Since 71 and her football hub. Hello, Laura. Hello, nice to be on. So there's only one place to start. That was transfer deadline day last Thursday. And there's some big moves from the likes of Manchester United. They signed Gabby George from Everton for £125,000. Irene Guerrero from Atletico Madrid. American goalkeeper Fallon Toulis-Joyce from OL Reign. And a cheeky little low move late on of Melvin Mallard. That's added to the earlier transfer window signings of Hinata Miwazawi from Minavi Sendi in Japan and GSA from Barcelona. Graham, the high-profile departures were Alessi Russo on, on a battle. They've also lost the likes of Martha Thomas of Spurs, Adriana Leon to Aston Villa and Vilda Boarusa to Atletico Madrid. They also managed to fend off a bid from Arsenal for Mary Earths despite Russo going. Now, United fans seem pleased with the incomings. A lot of the departures seem to be fringe players. So did they win the summer transfer window? They were certainly the most active. Um, I think the proof will probably be in probably be in the pudding of when the season starts. Uh, personally, I think the best signing of the window came um, at Arsenal with Cooney Cross. I think that's a great signing. Um, I think it shows a great amount of intent from their side as well to sign a player that was out of contract, I think, in six months. But when you look at United's transfer window, there was a point, I can't remember when I said this, I was on another podcast, I think, and I said I was a little bit worried that nothing was really happening. And then everything happened. And I was like, right, give me a minute because I need to write about this. So if you can just hold off making a few signings and then transfer deadline day, I thought, oh, I'll be nice and chill. And then like there was rumours and confirmations coming out of everyone's ears and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I actually think, you know, Man United's fans will look at, uh, I'm hoping pronouncing this right, Jaser is like probably the key signing because biggest name, um, a good replacement for, for Russo, a different replacement for Russo, I think. I don't think she's direct, but I think... For me, the smartest move that they made was Gabby George. I mm-hmm. think that's a really, really smart move. Um, I don't know whether she'll be first team all of the time, but she can play right back, she can play left back, centre back, and she's been on the fringes of the England squad recently and played for England before. I think with losing honour, that was a massive loss. I don't really think she's replaceable, so expecting anyone to be as good as honour was probably not something that could happen. Um, you'll likely see uh, Jade play at right back, Hannah continues at left back, and then your centre-back pair and remains the same with with Millie Turner and May Letizia, who are incredibly highly and I think should have went to the World Cup. But if, if any of those players sort of drop out or get injured, I think Gabby George is a great replacement, but not only just a replacement, she's someone who will push every single one of them in every position, um, which I think makes her a really superb signing. It was interesting that there was a lot of noise made about the outgoings, um, even towards the end of the window with Mary Earps, and yet Man United have still come out of the transfer window, losing two players they were desperate not to lose, potentially almost losing a third with Mary Earps, and still looking looking pretty solid, I think. Um, don't know whether they've won it. I don't want to say that on a recorded podcast on the off chance that they don't, and you know what they do terribly this year, but I think they had a good window on paper. I think they signed well, I think. They were smart with the signings, and I think the biggest thing for United fans will be the fact that they splashed a bit of cash. I know that doesn't always work, but um, it shows intent, and I think Man United fans have been wanting that for a while. Laura, I think the key, especially for someone like GSA, is how quickly she settles, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think what will be most interesting about potentially these these signings is the kind of how quickly will they kind of bed in? Because usually new signings take, you know, you can expect till at least January, maybe even a season for a new signing to kind of fully find their feet. And obviously the amount of turnover we've seen at United 
this this summer is is quite substantial. So it'll be really interesting to see if they can actually kind of make that gel to start off with. And obviously for individual players, um, Gator included, that will that will really um, matter to them. I think there's there's players of such quality there that there's going to be good performances but I think overall as a squad will be the most interesting thing of can they start on that front front foot can they kind of get get a steam ahead and get that bonding before the kind of season they might be disrupted by the forthcoming international break and will how long will they actually have to put the kind of networks in place to make that squad work with all the changeover that we've seen because sometimes that can be what floors a team when they've had so much turnover in the summer so I think it'll be really interesting and it'll kind of be what makes or breaks their season as to whether they can make sure that that, that team gels quickly. I think you've also won how to pronounce a name correctly as well, which me and Graham have been butchering in the last sort of five minutes. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. But who would you, uh, Laurel, who would your top transfer picks be from the last few weeks then? I think I agree with Graham. I think Arsenal, I'm biased because I'm an Arsenal fan, but I think Arsenal have had a really kind of astute window. Um, they've, They've seen some outgoings of or injuries that they'd need to replace. I think... Amanda Illustert is really a, a good a good signing there to kind of replace who they've needed to replace with um, Raffaele, obviously not a left-footed defender, but um, a lot of women Moy can play on the left. And um, you've got Leia Kadina coming in to strengthen that back line in the absence of Leah Williamson. Um, and then Cooney Cross, I just, and, and Rousseau, I think are just statement signings as much as anything. It's like, One's from a direct rival of Man United and one's from the hands of United and Chelsea who were seen to be like chasing her. So I think they're both statements of intent from Arsenal. Um, I still think they look... And, and they've also um, kind of filled the kind of midfielder role that they, they needed to um, with Cooney Cross. So that's a really good signing. And I think, yeah, just an astute window from them in terms of maybe they're slightly weak at that right-back position with the injuries, but overall a really good window for them and I'm also quite excited by Aston Villa just overall as a, as a window I think they've recruited some youth um, and it, it feels like a real project that's really exciting Aston Villa they obviously potentially like overperformed their expectations last season and they've just added quality to that I'd say Ebony Salmon, Lucy Parker, Kirsty Hansen making that permanent um, and Adriana Leon at the end and then they've got Van Donselaar in goal. I think they're all just really exciting signings for the future as much as anything, but also to kind of embed where they're going, um, having performed so well last season. Yeah, just quickly on uh, Kara Cooney Cross, apparently on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, she's reportedly cost Arsenal €320,000, which makes her one of the most expensive players in the women's game. So... Uh, good business done there by Arsenal. And, and Dan, you, we were going to talk about Villa, but Laura's teed up very nicely indeed. I mean, you look at the signings with what they've added as well. I mean, they've still got Rachel Daly, of course, but like you say, some really good signings chucked in there from Villa and they could be a threat to the top four this season. Yeah, I think so, Luke. I think they kind of, when they signed Van Domselaar, that just kind of bowled me over. Like you lose Hampton and then you bring... Van Domselaar in, who I think is probably a slightly better goalkeeper, to be honest. But, you know, if I was Chelsea, I'd probably rather sign Van Domselaar than Hampton. But, yeah, what a signing that was. And then, you know, some really good young players to develop, Patton and Parker and Salmon and, you know, Kirsty Hansen back as well, which is a bit really big signing for them. So, yeah, they're moving in the right direction. And, um, yeah, there's no reason why they can't threaten the top four this year. What do you make of the um, business done by the other top four, Dan? Um, especially Manchester City, very quiet indeed. One in, one out. Hayley Rassel's left to go to Real Madrid and the incoming is a very good one, though. Jill Rode from Wolfsburg. Yeah, I mean, Rode's a class player, so yeah, it's it's a good addition for City. Um, I think Taylor said, to be fair, that he was only going to sign one player in the... Other club said that they're only going to sign one player in the summer transfer window. So, you know, they've done what they said they were going to do. Um I think obviously Taylor believes that he had the players there last year. They just needed a little bit of gel in time. Um, so the proof is definitely in the pudding this season. It'll either work really well or, you know, maybe not so well. And, you know, he's under a little bit of pressure. But um, yeah, they've it, it's it's what's what was expected, I suppose, in only bringing the one player in. Brighton, they were they were busy on deadline day and they brought in 
plenty of keepers, it's fair to say, and it'd be a good competition for that number one spot. They've brought in both Nicky Everard on loan from Chelsea, who designed from OH Leuven in the summer themselves, only back in May, and they've loaned her straight to Brighton. And then Sophie Bagley, she has come on loan from Manchester United. Uh, they've also made a triple signing from Sydney FC, Charlie Rule, Mackenzie Hawksby and Madison Haley, as long, along with Pauline Bramer from Wolfsburg, Vicky Lassard on a free from Roma, Maria Thorsdottier from Manchester United, Lee Meng Wen from Jiangsu in China, Tatiana Pinto from Levante and Yorilin Carabali from Atletico Mineiro. And, and Graham, really good signings from Brighton, but they like to stock up on their keepers, don't they? Yeah, you know what? I think um, Brighton's had a really good window, and I, I think, look, I'm not saying they're going to push the top four, like or top five. Like, the, I think there's different parts of that um, of the WSL and, and and where teams can compete. You've got fifth to seventh, where there's a few teams that can compete. Your top four is in some order, and and then the rest of them. But they can start maybe looking towards, you know, sixth and seventh. I think with those signings, I think Nicky Everard is a a great signing. Really, um, if Emma Hayes rates her as a goalkeeper, which they stuck up on, then naturally, I think she must be good. I rate Emma Hayes in terms of uh, her recruitment, so I think it's good for her to get a bit of game time because she's she's obviously not going to get in at the moment uh, with the amount of goalkeepers they have and the quality that they have, but may do in the future. Uh, I think Tatiana Pinto is a really good sign-in. Manchester United and Arsenal are both interested, I think. Possibly the lure of first-team football um, on a consistent basis for her at Brighton's probably won that move because she's 29. You know, she, I don't think she really wanted to come. I mean, I don't know. I haven't spoke to her recently or ever. Um, but I assume that, you know, she would want to play first-team football um, on a much more regular basis than what maybe Arsenal and potentially... Money Night could have offered, but the fact that they were interested in her as part of that squad when they're both like not just top four sides, sides that if they won the title this season, you wouldn't be absolutely shocked, like especially with Arsenal. So the fact that she has been tempted to go to Brighton so she can play on regular first team football, um, and she was good enough to be part of two very strong squads much higher up the league, I think speaks volumes for the fact that. People seem to believe in, in the, the new manager there. People seem to believe in the project that's there as well and, and ultimately believe the same as I do, that they can hit that sort of top six potentially um, if you know all the signings hit the ground running. But again, the proof's in the pudding. Um, impressive on the on the paper, but football's played on a pitch, I guess. Dan, I mean, again, Graham's just touched on it there. At Brighton, not only um, the signing they brought in, but the manager they've got this year. I mean, she did a great job at London City Lionesses, didn't she? Yeah, I've known Mel for quite a while now, obviously with her being at London City as well. And she's just an excellent coach, an absolute top-class coach who did well in the championship. She earned a right to be where she is now. Um, she knows what she's doing, ultimately. She knows what she wants for Brighton. She's used her all-round knowledge to bring in the players that she's brought in. Obviously, she's gone far and wide with the recruitment, you know, gone into the Australian League and brought in, you know, serial winners, I suppose. Um and yeah, she I, I've got no doubt that Mel will push on with with Brighton this year and they'll have a really really good season. Laura can Brighton leapfrog the likes of Liverpool, Spurs, Everton, and even sort of put pressure on Villa for just behind that top four spot. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think with with quality recruitment, obviously, again, it's going to be how can these players gel together. Um, but I think. Every I think what's so exciting about the WSL at the moment is that those kind of mid-table sides are just continuously improving and are getting that kind of investment to to challenge the the likes of the top three, top four. Whether that's in the league or whether that's kind of you know the, those top three, top four are going going away to Brighton now and are looking at a really tough game. I think that's what's most exciting. You know, you can get results anywhere, and I think if they do that and they kind of challenge and provide that challenge for those teams higher up, then they can certainly start to climb the league and, and look at a higher finishing position. And like Man United, the main outgoings are fringe players, including Korean international Park Yi Un, who's joined Hearts. Megan Connolly's gone to Bristol City and Daniel Carter's gone to London City. Um, so we talked about Everton there. I mean, pretty uninspiring transfer window from then, Dan. I know you were at the, uh, the WSL media day last week and uh, Brian Sorensen was like, well, can't really let anyone go because we, we can't really afford to bring anyone in. And all of a sudden, Gabby George is gone and, and the squad's looking a bit light. 
Yeah, it was a little bit unexpected. I think he was he was looking for you know to go into the season with the squad that he'd got, and obviously if he could bring anybody else in for the right price, then he'd look to do that. Um, you know, I, I think it is very much that he's got to deal with what he's got. Obviously, he's brought Martina Piemonte in, who might get some goals for them. Van Haver Matt's always a really, really solid player in midfield. Obviously, you got that set piece threat as well. Um, so you know, there are a couple of good players there. Um, I'd expect that he might use the loan market a little bit as the season goes on. Obviously, we saw with Jess Park and Beaver Jones last season had really good seasons in on loan. He's obviously brought Alyssa Ahern in already. Um, so yeah, I think Brian's probably got a little bit more of a challenging job than some of the other coaches in the league this year. But, you know, he's he's kept the core of his team. Um, but it's just maybe that, you know, he's he, he would maybe like to bring a little bit more in than what he's got. But, um, you know, I, I don't think they'll be right down the bottom. I think it's, you know, it's just a bit more of a challenge and he might have to wheel and deal a little bit to, to get what he wants. So we've got Spurs and Liverpool then. So Liverpool brought in Tegan Micah from FC Rosengard, Maria Hubinger from FC Zurich, Natasha Flint. She's coming from Leicester after a successful spell on loan up at Glasgow Celtic last season. Jenna Clark, somebody who you know well, Graham. She's coming from Glasgow City. Maya Enderby from Sheffield United. Grace Fisk from West Ham. And the big one, really, Sophie Roman Haag. She's coming from AS Roma. Of course, we saw her from Norway in the recent World Cup. We knew about their released list a while ago. The only other departure was Katie Stengel, who's joined Gotham FC on loan. Um, Graham, I'll ask you mainly about Jenna Clark. What can Liverpool fans expect? Oh, look, Jenna's great. Jenna's someone I know really well. Um, I would hope on a personal level. I've known her for two and a half years, so if she tells you any different, she's lying. Um, <laughs> but also as a player, and, and you know, Jenna... Look, the WSL is very a very different standard. Um, I was absolutely flabbergasted that she's not been included in the Scotland squad this week, if I'm honest with you. But that's a another podcast for another day. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to potentially Scotland later on as well. But Jenna's really, really classy. Um, she's played in a, a four for ourselves. I think she's predominantly played like on the left or the right hand side of a back three for Liverpool in pre-season, and I can completely understand why. Um, you could quite easily confuse her for like a defensive midfielder. And I personally think she could play in that position as well because she just glides with the ball. She's got a real um, ability to bring the ball out from the back. She's got a nice passing range and she knows when to pass and when not to pass. Um, you've got you know some defenders that are really good at big 40-yard diags. You've got defenders that are really good at keeping it simple. She can do both. And she chipped in with 12 goals, I think, for us last season, maybe 13 goals from centre-half, which is massive in a title-winning team. And to be honest, three of those goals, I think, were like taken away from her uh, for own goals, which were like slight deflections. So she would have had about 15, 16 from centre-half. So a massive threat from from uh, set pieces. And she's tall. She tells me she's six foot. I'm pretty certain she's six three. I'm pretty sure she's lying. But um, I've got a load of time for Jenna. I'm a real big fan of Jenna as a person, but that's by the by. That doesn't really matter, I think. You know, as a player, um, she's a really, really smart signing by Liverpool, sadly, for me as a Glasgow City fan. But I think one thing you'll get from Jenna as well is, you know, you look at her age and you think 21, all right, room to grow. She's been playing Champions League football with Glasgow City since she was 16. She's one of the biggest leaders we had at Glasgow City last year, um, despite her really young years because of that. She's had tons of experience. She should be in the Scotland squad. She should be in the Scotland team, for my liking. I think it's a really smart signing. Um I think Roman Hogg is also an excellent signing. Um, I think that is. I was really, really impressed with her in the world Cup, in the World Cup. I think she, yeah. Yeah, like you say, it's a real coup for Liverpool, that isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a really smart signing. I think you know it's unfortunate that um, there's been a few times that Liverpool have been gazumped this season, and there's not much you can do when a top four team comes in. I don't think it's a case of like, oh, Liverpool are rubbish and this team's amazing. Champions League football speaks volumes. That, that's just what happens sometimes. But I think Liverpool have been really smart. I've got a lot of time for Matt. I really like him. Um, really nice fella. I think he's he's coaching and his management style has long been heralded by a lot of different players across a lot of different um a lot of different years. But I think Jenna will surprise a lot of people. I think she'll make the step up no problem. And I hope I'm not having any pressure to with that. But um, I'm a real big fan of Jenna as a player, um, massive fan. 
And I think the likes of Natasha Flint is actually really smart as well. Look, um, just to prove I'm not completely biased towards teams in Scotland that wear orange. Um, Natasha Flint was a revelation in the Scottish Women's Premier League last year. And I think it was probably the loan move that she needed to kind of get a bit of confidence back. We've seen her ability before. She's had a couple of years where she struggled. She's found a home for six months in, in Celtic and was, you know, arguably the best striker in the, the league that last six months of the season. And going to Liverpool is not adding too much pressure to her, especially with Roman Hogg being there as well. Um, but I think Matt signed really, really well. I think he's signed a lot of youth along with a, a lot of intelligent, experienced signings that will flourish for him. I think Liverpool could be really good this season. It spurs me while we heard about Martha Thomas joining from Manchester United. They've also signed Barbova Fotikova from PSG, Olga Attenin from Linkerpin, Grace Clinton alone from Man United for this season, uh, Luana Bula from Hoffenheim, and Zhang Lian, who's on loan from Wuhan. Uh, quite a few departures, though. Keris Harrip, as we heard the other week, from the lady herself. She's retired, and the likes of Cho, Man, Iwabuchi, and Tinga Rickenkorpola have also left. Uh, Laura, can can they leapfrog the likes of West Ham and Everton with that squad? Um, I'm not, well, I'm not convinced by West Ham, um, West Ham's chances. So I think, yeah, I think they they can do a job. I'm not. I mean, I think Martha Thomas is is a good a good signing in terms of they needed someone to um, fulfill in for Beth England. Is obviously out till Christmas, and I think that is a big blow a big blow for them um, for that injury to happen. In, in pre-season and off the back of the World Cup um, or for her to go in for the operation. I think it was kind of developing before that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that their issue is that they scored, they, they like struggled to score goals before Beth England kind of arrived. And with Beth England gone, it's just, can they, can they find those goals without her? Um, so it'll be interesting. Can Martha Thomas bring that? I think it's a good signing. Um, I think it's definitely a needed one. And they they're they're a, they're a solid team. They've got some good players, but they haven't they haven't really found that that um, it's it's not really clicked for them yet. I think without uh, Beth England, so I think it will be really like how do they fare without her, um, and and how do they fare kind of off the back of kind of a good end to last season. So the teams who we think may struggle then down at West Ham, Bristol City, Leicester. How do you see them shaping up? I won't put Leicester in there, Luke, I don't think. Um, just because I think Willie, Willie Kirk did a super job last year. They've had a really good window. They obviously brought um, the goalkeeper back as well, Leipzig, which is an absolutely amazing signing for them. Um, he's gone kind of across Europe with his signings and beyond. Diane Rose, obviously, coming in from Reading. You know, a, a real kind of mix of players. But I think they're a lot stronger than last year. So for me, I think Leicester might be kind of in the higher reaches of the bottom half, maybe. Um, agree with you on West Ham and Bristol City. I think Rian's got a real job on at West Ham. Um, there's probably been as many incomings as outgoings, but it's the outgoings, I think, which is the problem. Obviously, Grace Fisk and Lucy Parker, two really good young English players, leaving is a big problem. And Brinjaz Dutt here as well, obviously, she hasn't left the club, but she's pregnant and she won't play this season so to lose the captain is and you know one of their kind of real top figures in the team is a massive blow to them obviously I know it's for a good reason but it's something they could do without this season so you know I think Rianne's got a real job on obviously she came in quite late as well so she hasn't that long to work with the players um, and you know it's going to have to be a big January transfer window for them I think um, you know Uweki and Harry's are probably the ones who stand out in terms of the signings but yeah, they they need more. It looks like the you know it felt like they were short at times last year, and it feels like they're short again this year. Um, as for Bristol City, as we know, a team coming up, it's never easy at all. Um, it's about surviving first year, and I think Lauren Smith fully understands that. Um, my concern is is that they haven't signed really really good experienced Super League players. I mean, you know, players like Amy Rogers is. You know, good signing Megan Connolly. They played in this league quite a lot, but um, time will tell whether they've got enough or whether they've left themselves a little short. Another team I was really sort of interested in keeping an eye on during its transfer window because it seemed to pop up every five minutes on deadline day were 
in the championship, Birmingham. And before we move on to the action, Dan, they, uh, they as we know, are now being heavily invested. Uh, one of those investors is NFL legend Tom Brady. He's a shareholder. And it seems they're investing in their women's team as well. Ivana Fuso from Manchester United, Cho from Spurs, and her international teammate Cho Yu Ri have all arrived. They have Hope Powell, the sporting director as well, and Fuso in particular has said that that's one of the reasons she went in, that Powell sold the dream to her. So it's some statement by Birmingham bringing those players in, isn't it? I mean, they've spent a lot of money, I think, but the question is, how on earth did they get it right? And I think that's the problem they've got at the minute. They've signed quite a few players and... For whatever reason, it's just not quite... I don't think they've had much luck lately. It's not really kind of gelling for them. Um, It might take a little bit of time. It feels like they've got a bit of a hangover from last season when they came so close to promotion and then, you know, miss out by a couple of points. But, yeah, I mean, on paper, they should be right up there come the end of the season. And we probably thought that even before, you know, the, the business that they'd done late in the window. But... Yeah, something's just not quite clicking there for them, and they'll be they'll hope it, they'll be hoping to get that first win sooner rather than later. But you know, obviously, international break now it's come at the worst possible time. I think. Yeah, I was going to say it didn't really serve them well at the weekend, though, did it? They lost one 0 at home to Charlton. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just going from one bad thing to another, really, and you know, it must be really really frustrating to be a Birmingham fan at the minute. You know, to go down one 0 at home to Charlton, who you know, haven't really been setting the world alight themselves in the early stages of the season is another blow, you know, not to have a win, you know, after four games when they were targeting promotion and, you know, that was the key message. You know, it, it's it's not good for them and, you know, I think Darren Carter's under a little bit of pressure there. They've, they've really got to have a good next block of games. A year at the Durham game, they, they lost heavily last weekend as we... We touched upon they lost by nine goals to one, but they bounced back well, didn't they, this weekend? Yeah, typical Durham performance. Um, to be fair, the the Palace game was a weird one because there's a bit of niggle between the two clubs. It's a bit of a, a fierce old rivalry, that, for some bizarre thing which which happened last season. But it Where was did one that of those... come from? I'm actually quite curious, because I don't know the story behind this. Now, what there was a f- yeah, it happened here. in the Maiden Castle game last year, and I think Durham lost the game 1-0 in... Somebody scored a worldie from about 35 yards. Durham being physical as they are, I don't think Palace took too too well to that. And, you know, I think there was a little bit of niggle between either sets of fans and coaches last year. So it kind of all boiled up from that. And, you know, I think Palace were really, really up for that game the other week. And it was one of them where one team supercharged, the other team turns up and the worst possible thing happens at the worst possible time. And, yeah, you could play that game a hundred times again. It doesn't the same thing doesn't happen. So I think Durham just had to write that game off and reset again and go yesterday. And I thought it was a typical Durham performance, really tight. Um, you know, they came on came on really strong in the final stages and again, you know, that they managed to get a late goal at home to to win the game. Southampton now top and surprisingly level on points with them are Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, I mean, Simon Parker, what a job he's doing at Blackburn Rovers, a coach that I really, really rate. Um, You know, he's done his time at Lewis. I think he went to Portugal for a little while, which was risky, but he had a lot of success there. Gone in at Blackburn, one of the the sides that people think might struggle, and they've got nine points from from 12. Absolute dreamland for them at the minute. Um, You know, Southampton are the team to shoot at, without a doubt. But yeah, Blackburn Rovers are just absolutely living the dream at the minute. Graham's uh, banging a Sunderland drum. He says Sunderland for promotion. They, they only drew this weekend, though, Dan, didn't they? They did, but I mean, you know, po- points win prizes, don't they? At the, at the end of the day, again, if if you told if you told Mel Ray that she'd have what, what what have they got eight points on the board at the minute, you know, she with with a brand new hybrid playing model as well, and you know, she she'd bite your hand off for that. I'm sure she must be absolutely delighted, even though you know they're not they're not top of the league. But what a position they're in after four games. Uh, anything else stand out for you in the championship this weekend? No, I think that was a big one. I think, um, you know, obviously Southampton getting back on track was, you know, the, the main thing for them after that defeat to Sunderland last week. Um, you know, Lewis still struggle at the bottom. I think it's going to be a long, hard season for them. And obviously Sheffield United beat them. That was a, that was a huge win to get them up and running after having a, a pretty strong summer in the transfer market. So, um, yeah, Southampton at one end, they want to shoot at without a doubt. Lewis and obviously Birmingham at the other end is is absolutely bizarre to see them down there. 
Okay, so on to the National League then, Dan. And there was um, a big game in the North, wasn't there, which Burnley came out on top of? Yeah, massive win that for Burnley. Um, took on Forrest, who, you know, one of the pace setters as well at Leyland yesterday. I think they won 4-2 in the end. Um, you know, gives them a bit of breathing space at the top. Um, going to be a really tight league that this year. Obviously, we've seen Burnley up there in recent years. Forrest are going from strength to strength. You've got Newcastle as well now. Um, so that was absolutely huge for Burnley yesterday. Absolutely brilliant result for them. Was there any other results that stood out for you in the, the National League? I mean, obviously, the Newcastle project is, uh, is sort of just starting. I think there are a couple of games behind, aren't they, with the way the fixtures have worked as well? Yeah, I mean... You know, they've come into it, they signed quite a few players, have retained some as well over the summer. But, um, you know, we thought at the start of the season it might take a little bit of time to gel. But, you know, I think it's three wins out of three now. You know, we, we know that they want championship football and above. Um, they're going about it in the in the right way. In the South, um, what stood out for you? Uh, I know we t- we um, we chatted to Lee Birch last week and it was a case of the, it was a case of the, the curse of the podcast for him, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, 3-1 home defeat to Hashtag were absolutely, you know, the the one of those straight, you know, one, one of those kind of fascinating projects, aren't they? And yeah, they're absolutely flying at the minute, top of the, the National League South, I think. So yeah, they went to rugby and I think that's their the first time they've dropped points this season, Lee Birch's side. So yeah, that was a huge win for them yesterday. Um, a lot of the pre-season favourites were in good form. Ipswich won 5-0 at home to London Bees. Um, Oxford defeated... Plymouth by the same scoreline and um, Portsmouth hit Chatham Town for, obviously they were formerly Gillingham women, I think, um, 8-0 away. Um, So all all your big hitters got the results again yesterday. I know it's in um, one of the divisions below, I think it's the Division 1 south of Dartford there, but they're flying as well, 5 out of 5 for them. Um, before the WSL even starts again, we've got another round of international fixtures and it's a newly formed Nations League. England are in Scotland's group. News out the Lionesses camp is at Lucy Parker. She's joined up with a squad following the withdrawal of Lottie Wubben Moy. England take on Scotland in Group A1 on Friday. And Graham, the dream scenario for you, you're Scotland based, you've got a Scottish fiance, and you're a native, native of Sunderland. It couldn't be better, could it? Honestly, like. I'm going to tell you a little story here. So sit down, grab a cup of coffee um, or tea. It is quite late, or water, whatever you want. Um, so <clears throat> there was a big concern for me that, because England, Scotland, I want to cover both games, which I will be. Um, and going to Wembley is always great. Covering a game from Wembley is always amazing when it's England. Against Scotland, it would have been fantastic. I'd kind of planned on going down to Wembley. And then one of my best friends decided to get married um, on the Saturday, which we were panicking about. Like, oh God, how are we going to get back from Wembley? Are we just going to go on no sleep? Are we going to have to miss the game? X, Y, and Z. Um, we would also miss Sunland men at home to Cardiff that day because it was the Saturday. So that was roundly booed by the majority of Sunland fans that are going to the wedding as well. And then lo and behold, they changed the game to the stadium lights. So I can go on the Friday, uh, I can go at the wedding on the Saturday and Sunland men changed their game to the Sunday to accommodate. So um, thanks very much to the gods of football for sorting that out for me. But yeah, uh, dream fiction, dream scenario. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. Look, I'm English. Um, I'm not going to deny that. I support England. I support the Lionesses. I support England's men team. That that's that's who I am, and that that's where I'm from. That's my team. But I've got a lot of affection for the Scotland women's team because of obviously my connections and and people that I've worked with. And we touched on Jenna earlier in the podcast. She's Scotland national. You know, Lee Gibson, uh, previously Alexander, as some people may know. Uh, Lauren Davidson, Glasgow City. There's people that I know on a personal level that win that Scotland team and. Um, I also really enjoy watching Caroline Weir because I think she's potentially my favourite um, non-English player of all time. So I'm really excited for it. And I honestly think, you know, the last game they played between the sides was 2-1. Um, the caveat was that Phil Neville was the manager at that point. So, um, you know, who knows what you're going to get with Phil Neville. But um, I think as much as England have massively improved since then due to the strength of the manager uh, and some world-class players across the park. Scotland really have as well. And, you know, people immediately pinpoint Aaron Cuthbert, who is injured. Um, people immediately pinpoint Caroline Weir, which I kind of have. But I think people forget that, you know, Kirsty Hansen's in there, WSL Player of the Year nominee. She's she's within that team as well. I think you look at their defence, they've got a lot of experience and still someone who um, offers an awful lot for Aston Villa and Rachel Corsi. 
Sophie Howard is absolutely no slouch. Um, she's played really, really well for Leicester and been the WSL for quite a while now. Sam Kerr plays for Bayern Munich now. Um, and I know she's came from the Scottish League, but honestly, like maybe I'm biased because I, I spent a lot of time there, but the, the Scottish Women's Premier League at the moment is producing some great players. Emma Watson is one of the biggest examples of how well players are doing up here because Manchester United snapped her up. And let me tell you, Man United were not the only club interested in her. Kirsty McLean is a really good player, in my opinion, the better of the two from Rangers. Um, there will be different opinions on that. People would prefer Emma Watson. I've always, um, if I had to choose one, preferred Kirsty McLean ever so slightly. Really technically good. Um, and then I touched on Lauren before, and, and you know, Loz has got um, 31 goals last season in the WS, and not WSL, in the, um, in the SWPL, sorry. And, you know, 31 goals at any level and in a title winning team from right wing is frightening. And that's because she's really, really good and powerful, strong. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this because it's going to be embarrassing in the morning. But Scotland <laughs> are massively improved as well as the point I was trying to make. Um, where England have really improved since the World Cup in 2019. So Scotland. So I think, you know, I, I think it'll be an England win. And there's no shame in that for Scotland. But I think it'll be close, uh, closer than people think. You were at Hampden Park for the men's game last week and it was pretty hostile. I mean, I'm guessing it's not going to be the same type of atmosphere, but equally, I don't think they'll be rolling out the red carpet, will they? I mean, I can't discuss whether I was in the home end between Scotland and England last week for the men's game. But if I was, I could say, yes, it was relatively hostile, but I don't think so. Um, I think... Some people would prefer the the women's game to be a bit more like the men's game within the crowds, and I think it's there's certain elements that are getting like that with the weigh-ins and you know a bit of competitive, um, can we call it fanship that happens, which I quite like. But I think naturally the the women's game is just a little bit more welcoming sometimes, and I don't think I can't see you know the stadium like booing Flower of Scotland. Um, if they do, I'm kind of all right with that. It's a competitive sport, you know. You're trying to win your team to win and stuff like that. But I think. I think it'll be a really good spectacle. There's over 40,000 there. I went to the last um, England game at the Stadium Light, which was against Austria. And I don't know how many people remember this, but I think around 30,000 tickets were sold. And unfortunately, we had like the worst storms on the planet. I got the Megabus down on the night, like overnight, which meant to get into Newcastle at five past one. And the Megabus driver had to stop the coach because he was like, a tree's just falling out in front of me. And I ended up getting up. A lot later than that, the metros were cancelled and everything. So there's only 10,000 there. So although the game has been played at the stadium like the Lionesses, it was kind of a nightmare on that day. And I think the sport, the women's game, was certainly not as big as it is now. And we hadn't won the Euros by that point. And people in the Northeast want to see women's football. Um, the proof is that 40,000 tickets have been sold. That's not issued. Um, with a Scotland away in, which I believe is quite busy and it's going to be in what's normally the Sunland men's home end which is a bit of an odd one for me but um, I'm really excited for it and I'm I'm really excited for the game at Hamden. I still get the feeling that everything I said before about the national anthem not being booed, I still get the feeling that when England play at Hamden though we might get God save the uh, God save the, the king booed um, it might even be Aaron Cuthbert doing it who knows <laughs> <laughs> Just quickly as well Graeme, good news in, as well that BBC Scotland will be showing five of Scotland's home games in the Nations League, including the return fixture against England at Hamden. You know, it's really brilliant. And and um, like I said before, and I know I'm English and I know I'm an England supporter, but I'm I'm a huge advocate of the game up here. And I think, you know, there's... I don't think anyone could have not noticed the problems and the conversations surrounding equality with Scotland women's national team. Um, that's allegedly come to a... A resolution. I won't go too deep into that because I don't know what the resolution is, and I'm not one of the Scotland women's team players that knows exactly what they want. But I, I would say that today I spoke to Rachel Corsi at the Orium down in um, Edinburgh, and we discussed. You know, uh, well, I didn't discuss. Someone asked her. You know, what would be if she could speak to a, a little Rachel Corsi now? What? How could she reassure her that the game is? is moving forward in Scotland. She's got nothing really to worry about and equality is, is coming and, and the right kind of treatment is coming and stuff like that. And she was just speaking about how the game in Scotland's going in the right direction. And I touched on Emma Watson and Kirsty McLean before. And they're both, you know, Emma Watson's gone to Man United, but they've both played predominantly for Rangers. And the, the fact that I've mentioned both those players as players that can cause problems for England shows you how far the domestic game's coming up here. And I think that's really important. The fact that the playing pardon me, the fact that they're playing the games on BBC shows to me that people want to watch it. Um, you know, when I first came to Scotland and started covering women's football, there was a select few. There's still not enough covering it. 
Um, but there's much more and there's much more interest and the attendances have gone from 4,000 to 6,000 to 8,000. I know they got about 17, 18,000 for the Jamaica game prior to the World Cup, but look, anyone can get a big attendance for one game. It's about retaining that attendance and continuing to grow it and Scotland are doing that. The fact that it's on BBC means people who maybe haven't thought about going to the England-Scotland game might watch the Belgium game and go, oh, you know what? These players are all right. What, the midfielder plays for Real Madrid? Oh, the other one plays for Bayern Munich. And the other one, oh, well, obviously they won't see Aaron Cusper, but in, you know, naturally as they plays for Chelsea. Oh, wow, that's you know, I want to see this player. I want to go and watch them. It's only at Hampden. How much are the tickets? Oh, it's only £10. Oh, brilliant. Let's go. And and that's kind of how you grow the game. And I think, you know, previously it just hasn't been on the telly. And it's a cliche. Um if you can't see it, you can't be it. I think I speak about this a lot, but the biggest thing for me is we speak a lot about inspiring um, little girls in Scotland and little girls in England and all across the country and the world. For me, it's about inspiring little boys as well. Why didn't I watch women's football till I was 25, 26? Because I didn't have the chance. It wasn't on telly. No one talked about it. I didn't know who was playing. I couldn't tell you who the players were. Why didn't I know the history of women's football? Because it wasn't available to me and ready, ready and available to watch. For me... It just needed to be normalised a bit properly when I was a kid that, you know, women could play football and women could do their sport as good as a man. That's now being normalised. And I think the big thing for me is that there's going to be, you know, young boys who the dad or the man might put the game on and say, oh, what's this, man? Oh, it's Scotland's women team. They're playing against Belgium, England, Netherlands. And then that kid goes, well, I like that one in the middle, that Caroline Weir, she's really good. And then you've got a Scotland women fan and they don't find it. I'm just going at the women's game. They're a Scotland fan and they support the Scottish women's team. And I think, you know, I might be going too deep into it a little bit, but I think that's that's what it causes. It means that little boys, little girls are normalised by watching a women's national team on the TV and they support them the same way as they support the Scotland men's team. Was that deep enough for you, Luke? Because I feel I've gone too deep. <laughs> it was. It was a... It was a good. It was a good speech, to be fair. Um... A lot of love in the room here, to quote Darius Danish. Yeah, yeah. God rest his soul. R.I.P. Um, but no, like you're saying, the big thing is is to get the younger Scottish girls involved in it. Turning to the competition itself, Laura, the, although there's extra games which won't be appreciated by club managers, it will help the smaller nations, won't it? Yeah, I think that's obviously the the main bonus of the Nations League. It's it seems a frustrating a frustrating competition for for domestic and even for kind of those teams that have competed in the World Cup, it's like, you know, just give those players a bit of a rest. But I think more more football is always nice for the fans. It's always nice for for the players who aren't being completely overworked. And hopefully they, they can find the right balance in terms of resting those players who do need the rest. Obviously, Kira Walsh being key name left out of this England squad. Um, and yeah, hopefully, like, the more competition, the more times you play different teams, the greater advantage that's going to have in in growing the game in a different way in terms of providing that competition, providing those opportunities to test yourselves against the likes of England, the likes of Spain, you know, Belgium, all kind of, if you're you're competing against a greater pool of teams, there's going to be a greater pool of teams who are able to compete and are brought up by that level of competition and uh, have this competition. So they're, governing bodies are incentivized to invest because they don't want to be humiliated. And I think that's some of the great stuff we saw at the World Cup, that there wasn't any humiliations in that tournament. And I think the Nations League is just another platform to be able to show that women's football is really competitive now. Group A4 is also interesting as it features Spain, Sweden, Switzerland and Italy. And talking of Spain, they've named 15 of that World Cup winning squad, but no Jenny Hermoso. Uh, Laura, it's, um, it's kind of coming to an end, but it still rumbles on a tiny little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that whole situation is it's not, it's kind of been swept under the carpet a little bit because you've got the RFEF making players play. Some of them didn't even know they were going to be called up. You've got this situation where they got rid of Jorge Vilda, but they've just appointed his assistant, um, kind of said we got rid of him. But, you know, the structures are still in place. The, the the figureheads of those structures might have gone, but the attitudes, the structures still persist. And I think until there's some kind of retribution or some kind of way of changing those structures and, and making change throughout the kind of Spanish Federation, it's just, it's going to prolong it. It's going to, you've got to meet the demands of those players. And I don't think that's happening yet. 
Um, so, yeah, I think it will continue to rumble on until those issues are dealt with properly. Group B1 has got Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland in it, so that'll be a really interesting clash. Dan, does any other group stand out for you? I mean, just coming out of that group straight away, Luke, I think they've got that Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland game. I think the the game in Southern Ireland is going to be in the Aviva, and I think they've sold about 30,000, 35,000 tickets, which is absolutely astonishing. I didn't think they'd do that. You know, I thought if they got 10,000, fantastic, but, you know, to get... 30,000, 35,000 in there already is credit to, to them. You know, what, what a huge boost that is for that, for both of those teams, really. Um, I mean, group, your league A's have got all the top, the top teams in, um, you know, A3, Germany, Denmark could potentially be a couple of decent games there. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, I, th- I think if you're looking Luke, in, in, in league B, you're probably looking at which teams can kind of come out and make a statement, you mm. know, and, and push to be in, in league a, um, I think Czech Republic, um, I think they were, they did really well, didn't they? When they played against England last year in Brighton, I think they got a goalless drawn. I thought they were yeah. really, really well drilled. And I think Ukraine game. as well, maybe Dan, because I read a really good article on it in world soccer in the last edition about, um, I think they're a better team than being in Group B. Just they've had a lot of disruption with obviously what is going on in the country, but the coach they've got as well is, um, you know, that says says a lot as well of, of what their ambitions are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's quite a good group because again, like Poland, you'd expect you know there's one or two decent players within that team who who could shine, you know, and, and Greece in that group as well. Um, so yeah, it's you know your league A, it's going to be all of your top your top games, and league B, it's going to be about you know which teams can really excel and kind of push on and and show how much they're growing to to become a real elite team. Of course, it works the same as as the men's as well. They get promoted up into a group A, a league A, should I say, and also a chance to qualify for a tournament um finally women's champions league uh debutants manchester united will play paris saint-germain in the second qualifying round for a place in the group stage that is a a huge game isn't it laura yeah i think that'll be a really exciting game um opportunities for united to obviously test the new signings um as an arsenal fan who's been knocked out um i think it's just been interesting watch obviously you kind of you got that double-edged sword of wanting English representation, but then also not wanting someone else to win it as an Arsenal fan. But I think it would be great to have United in it from from just like an English football perspective. And I think it would be really interesting to see how they kind of fare against a team like PSG because they've obviously not had that Champions League experience. And I think it will be another test of just the quality of the WSL. Like, can, can a team that haven't had previous European experience but have really shone in the WSL recently kind of, face up to a PSG side who have obviously had that Champions League experience, um, but potentially, like obviously not the team in France, but are definitely making a push for it. So I think I think that'll be a really exciting match. Yeah, the first leg is at home against PSG. Uh, that is on the 10th or 11th of October, not been decided yet. And then the return leg will be the week after on the 18th or 19th. That'll de- decide the remaining 12 places in the group one team hoping to be there graham as well glasgow city they face norwegian club sk bran after beating lithuania's jinta in the first round yeah um and you know uh glasgow city have a real history in the, the champions league quarterfinals twice i think which is a huge 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 achievement i mean you think how the infrastructure that um, Celtic and Rangers have in the men's game, imagine if they got at the quarterfinals of a Champions League, you know, you'd never hear the end of it, if we're honest. Um, and it just shows you like, you know, how big an achievement Glasgow City have had over the years. But, you know, massive, I think, I think the draw is, um, it's a tough draw. Obviously they won the league last year. I think they're fourth at the moment. And it is, it is a tough draw. Like, and YX and stuff on it, and, and and they're the, the biggest teams in terms of name that are on it. But with you know Glasgow City, from a completely non-workers working for Glasgow City perspective, have to be confident. You know we've we've started the season very well. Um, whenever game apart from the Rangers game, which you know arguably we could have won, um, with the chances that we had, although I'm sure Rangers will feel the same way. But home leg first, I'm really excited for uh, Champions League under lights at, at the PZ again. It's um I think arguably up until. 
winning the league in the, the last minute last season, which I don't like to remind people of, but I will again. Um, I think our greatest moment in our history was was probably that that game against uh, Bromby, where Lee um, Alexander was at the time Lee, Lee Gibson saved three penalties, and we we went into the game two 0 up, and then went two 0 down in the first half, hit the bar in the last minute of extra time, um, and then won on penalties thanks to three brilliant Lee saves. So it's a game that you know I wasn't actually at because it was before my time, but I know it's still it spoke about um, with great pride and great aplomb within the players and the the staff and, and you know even the people who just work at, at Peters Hill it's such a great night and, and hopefully you know it's not as close this time but hopefully it's uh, just as good as the night and I think um, I think it's high time that Glasgow City were in the group stages myself I think we've, we've been greatly missed Laura, just quickly on Arsenal, a massive blow for them not making a Champions League especially with all the signings that they made I mean I suppose you could say you can concentrate on the WSL, but the revenue to get from the Champions League is pretty, um, do you know, that'll be a massive regret for them, won't it? Yeah, I think it's it's really disappointing for them as a team. I think the difficulties they'll face now is the kind of rotational aspect. They've got a lot of depth up front and how can you make all those players happy when you've got to rotate them in the WSL? Obviously, they've got the same kind of number of games with the Continental Cup, but now taking part of the group stages. But I don't think, you know, the likes of Blackstenius or Russo are going to be placated by having getting starts in the Conti Cup. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting problem for them to manage. It's... It seems frustrating because I think they had like a week's a week's training before those matches were played, and it feels a bit ridiculous to come off that international break and and not have an awful lot of time to prepare for really important matches, albeit against teams that on paper they should definitely beat. So I think absolutely very very disappointing for that team, and it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage the game time and whether they can really take advantage of the the extra kind of. The, the ability to focus their efforts on the WSL um, and hopefully make amends. Yeah, the group said you start in November. Holders Barcelona, plus Leon, Bayern Munich and WSL champions Chelsea have already qualified for those group stages. That is it. Thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe uh, and like the podcast. Leave us a review as well. We're on Twitter at TWFP1 or X, whichever you want to call it. Thanks, Elon. And we're also on Instagram, the Women's Football Podcast. Until next time, have a great week and thank you for listening. Luke, before you go, you said leave a review. Is it a good review that you want or a bad one? <laughs> <laughs>